As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. Well, this is a special episode. So I'm joined with my friends, Dr. Dan Scheffler, Martin Cothran, who have their own podcast called The Dust Jacket. This is kind of a crossover episode of sorts. And the reason I want Some have said it's the best podcast. That, uh, it's that at least the yeah, second best. the one sitting right here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe second, but okay. Um, the reason I wanted to have you guys on and wanted to talk about what you are doing with the Dust Jacket and Memorial College is actually for a very specific reason. And there's a phrase that perfectly encapsulates why I'm interested in it, but I'm not sure if either of you will understand it. <laughs> but the Memoria College is what the kids would call a vibe. Mm. Do you guys know what I mean it's, by it's that? Got strong no, vibe. translate this for us yeah. old people. So Memorial College is not just a college. It brings with it an entire aesthetic, a way of being in the world, a way of viewing things. And the dust jacket is one example of that. And that includes being interested in beautiful things, loving to read hard books, not being afraid of challenging the norm. Mm. And you guys both you know, put that demeanor into the world and infuse that culture into the college and the podcast. And that's what I'm interested in talking to you about. Why is that vibe, that culture, a part of Memorial College? What's what's so important of that about that culture that you guys are creating? Well, all the all the bullet points that you just listed, that's what I believe passionately in. I mean, that's what I want to de- dedicate my life to is uh, reading the best things that have been said uh, viewing the best kinds of art, not shying away from the highest and the best and the smartest and the deepest and the most beautiful because it's hard, right? You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of whining in our culture <laughs> right now. Uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, we can't do that. It's too hard. It's too lofty. Um, and so we settle for mediocrity and mediocrity that really tapers down to uh, the cliche and the banal. Uh, and we want to promote what's good. We want to promote the great books. We want to, we want to dive in head first. Yeah. And I, and I would say that, you know, part of the reason people think wrongly that the classic books, the older books are hard is because what they see now in our universities is, is all this specialism um, stuff that really is hard to read because it's not mm-hmm. very well mm-hmm. written. All right. So they think that's what this older stuff is. And in fact, if you go back and you look, you know, you, you, you look at some of the philosophers, you know, David Hume and uh, um, George Barclay, and th- these weren't people who were, who were isolated mm-hmm. in some ivory tower somewhere. You know, Hume was just a gentleman, an aristocrat who had leisure time to write. A lot of these people wrote in their leisure time. This is what they did as an end in, in and of itself. And so they don't understand that really the great books are a whole lot easier mm-hmm. to read uh, than a lot of the intellectual stuff that you see today. T.S. You know? Lewis makes that that point, yeah. that a sign of a he true from me. master. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah. did, yeah. <laughs> uh, a sign of a true master is that uh, it's actually not that hard to read. It's deep, and it's like that that onion uh, that has all the layers of meaning. Every time you can you can read it over and over and over again, and it's still good. But it's not 
hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I assign to freshman mm-hmm. college students dialogues of Plato all the time, and they're very approachable. And yet I'm still coming back to them 15 years after being introduced to them and still finding depth of, of meaning. Yeah, Plato's a lot easier to read than his common, modern commentators. Absolutely. That way, yeah. I, I found that something to be similar, but don't you think that the the hardness sometimes comes in from the amount of prerequisite information or the things alluded to that also aren't necessarily hard in and of themselves, but are just things that if you don't have sustained attention and patience, you're not going to be able to access these kinds of books. Isn't that part of what your your guys' program is trying to do is mm-hmm. is give them the reference points right. so that they can read these these books? That's why all of our core classes are survey classes really. And we go all the way from the ancient Greeks to the modern world on a certain topic, say uh, political and social philosophy or uh, imaginative literature or something like that. And the whole goal there is to give the students this the wide breadth of knowledge of the whole tradition rather than you know a very narrow uh, knowledge of just one single work. Because from there, if you have that broad knowledge, you can dive in to that conversation at any point. You're going to be a lot better equipped to uh, know what people are talking about and what all these references are. I mean, the the problem is people just don't read as much as as they used to. It's not that they're not reading hard Mm -hmm. enough stuff to prepare themselves for this stuff. It's just that they they don't read a lot. I mean, mean, I think C.S. Lewis is pretty easy to read, but mm-hmm. there's people who who you give them mere Christianity or something, and they think this is the hardest thing they've ever read because it is the hardest thing they've ever read because they don't read anything but the most banal type of type of thing. So w- you do have that problem, and which is why I think that the observation by John Senior, uh, who used to run the English department at the University of Kansas, he he said you've got to read the thousand good books before you can read the hundred great books, mm-hmm. which is why I think the homeschooling mothers who come to us are well equipped to mm-hmm. read this material mm-hmm. because they've read the thousand good books right. to mm-hmm. their children, and so they're now prepared for the hundred great. And just he doesn't really mean a thousand and a hundred, but you, you get the idea. There's and I think that I think the internet is kind of a blessing and a curse here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, one of the reasons why. People have so much trouble holding their attention, uh, settling down to read a longer book is because they're so used to the quick hit Mm -hmm. of information Mm -hmm. in a YouTube video or a tweet or a blog post or something like that. Um, But on the other side is it's never been easier to look up those references and those illusions and get a quick little, you know, I'm actually, Mm -hmm. people knock Wikipedia, but I'm actually kind of a fan Uh, of- hitting up wikipedia when you know you're you're reading one of these difficult books and there's a reference to some something that you don't know well you know mm-hmm. pull, as the great michael scott to... once said anybody anywhere at any time could write anything they want on wikipedia how great is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it, it it tends to be is just as accurate as the uh stuff that was ever yeah um and i was talking with dan this morning about uh, an essay called the bookish life by joseph epstein mm-hmm. now joseph epstein is is my model for the educated gentleman mm-hmm. um he's got a bachelor's degree from northwestern university he's probably our greatest living essayist in in english i mean it, he's considered that way to be that by some people. And he just, in this essay, he just, he's talking about how he likes to read, not for any reason, 
simply as an end in, yeah. in and of itself. And he, he even says, <laughs> he even says, don't read anything that you don't enjoy. This period, end of story. Mm-hmm. If, if, yep. if it's not, th- otherwise, it, it becomes this chore and you really don't get out of it what you would get out of it if it was something you were interested in. And he talks about all the books he's reading and mm-hmm. the, the, the book he's got in his bathroom and the book that, that are in his, in, in his office and the books laying next to the couch. And, and, my, and I haven't read this to my wife yet, but she'll be sitting there nodding because this <laughs> is the same thing. And he talks about buying books. And 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 he he's made commitments. I, for every book I'm, I buy, I'm going to get rid of an old one. He said, "I never do it. They just they keep accumulating." And my wife would be nodding at this too because you know we got books everywhere. And the, there is this life of loving books that is. I, I just like to be around books. I walk into my library and I've got kind of high walls. It's not not a real big room, and I just twirl around and uh-huh. just enjoy the fact that I'm in the presence of books. And that's another thing. You've, you've got to have some kind of love for this. There's something beautiful about it. Beauty being the ultimate end thing that everything points to, including the true and the good. My, you know? my wife and I were laughing about uh, Marie Kondo apparently has this, one of her rules for decluttering your home is you really don't need more than 30 books. And uh, my 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 wife likes to laugh and say she means in your handbag. <laughs> right. yes. It's just too much to carry around. Yes, yeah, that's well said. <laughs> so Dan, you've brought up one of the challenges to accessing these books is this kind of short term problem that we have where we're, our our attentions are distracted. You know, every day you're getting notifications on your phone or or something like that. But then there's also this life distraction where a lot of people think reading and books is the first 18 years of their life, maybe 22 if they go to college and then it stops. Mm -hmm. Both of you have committed to an intellectual life and that seems to be what you're calling other people to Mm -hmm. in the college. Talk about the importance of an intellectual life and what that has meant for you guys personally. Well, I think you, as human beings, we have an intellectual dimension. Aristotle said all men hunger to know. And we, we crave that, whether we know it or not. It's deep in our nature, uh, that curiosity, that desire to, to understand, to grapple with things. Um, but it's also easily ignored, it, and it's easy to serve our other cravings uh, and to go after, after those. So if you leave that uh, undeveloped, that intellectual dimension of yourself, it will be uh, shriveled and immature and shallow, and you're setting yourself up to have a very surface level understanding of just about anything in the world, whether it's politics or religion or how to just handle your day-to-day affairs. Um, but if you cultivate that, you are expanding a whole side of your psyche. You are uh, developing yourself as a person. You're learning how to think about everything else in your life. Um, and it's it's also just rewarding and satisfying for its own sake. Mm. Um, the intellectual life is something that is beautiful. And the objects of the intellectual life, the books themselves, the literature, the philosophy, the theology, the history – it's just intrinsically worth thinking about and occupying yourself with. I think one of the things that Joseph Epstein says in The Bookish Life is he he says, 
what else are you going to do with your life? Yeah. You know, like what, right. what, what, how else are you spending your time that is this rich and rewarding and intrinsically right. beautiful? And we're always being asked basically to give you utilitarian reasons for what we do. Mm. I mean, mm. I find myself doing that with classical education all the time. They want, they want utilitarian reasons for an anti-utilitarian thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I, I, I feel that when people say, well, why should I read? I, I want to use Epstein's answer. I want. I, I want to say, what 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 more enjoyable thing could you do? Mm. Um, I I have my front porch, and I go out there and I get my stack of books, um, and a beverage, and and I sit out there, and a, on a nice sunny afternoon in the shade, and I read, and I, I'm not, you know, I have you know things I need to look up, and I have things I need to read about, but but really. I do that because mm-hmm. I want to be on my porch reading good books. On that point, let's untangle and address the relationship between ease and enjoyment. I think that's something we're talking about here quite a bit, is that some people see the kinds of enjoyments you're talking about as very unenjoyable. And I think it's because of a conflation of it's not comfortable to have the kind mm-hmm. of life that you guys are describing address that that relationship between ease and enjoyment. I think we can learn something here. You won't hear me say this too often, but I think we can learn something here from contemporary psychology. There's this whole psychology of of flow that many people know mm-hmm. about. Jordan Peterson talks about this mm-hmm. in some places. And so the the flow state, a lot of people think of athletes, you know, when they're really in the zone and they're they're just firing on all cylinders or a craftsman who is in the zone and it's it's really hitting. So researchers have asked, okay, well how do we get into that that flow state? And a lot of people there's also a, a lot of research that suggests people are happier overall the more of that kind of in the zoneness they have in their life. Well, one of the main contributors is the right balance between challenge and skill. Hmm. If something's too hard, well, then we all know what that's like. That's just beating your head against a concrete wall. We don't, we don't like that. Okay. Right. But also, if you really reflect on it, the same is true of the other end. If, if things are too easy, if it's just all cotton candy and you're sitting there watching Netflix for six hours, completely passive, just doing nothing, we know the gross feeling actually that comes at the end of that. And it's an easy lie to believe that, oh, what I would really just enjoy right now is complete ease, complete mm. passivity. But you you don't. We don't as humans. We enjoy the right balance of challenge and skill. So we at Memoria College, we're trying to develop that skill to incrementally raise your ability to engage with the great books by having these kinds of classes that introduce it and have those conversations, give you that survey, give you that broad overview so that you now are, are have that skill to go and do something that is difficult um, and you can do it. And there's that sense of deep satisfaction that comes from, from doing something that that's difficult. Yeah. yeah and, and the, fundamental truth behind all this is that we like to do what we do well. Mm. And, and, and if it's and the more fundamental, that thing is the more, the more, um, the more it speaks to our own humanity, we're going to like that more. And we're going to like that better, the better we do it. 
you know, you get more and more interested in knowledge by knowing more. Mm. The more you have, the more you want. And I think this is the case with any sophisticated thing. You have to cultivate a, a, a skill or an interest in that thing. And the interest comes when you get better at doing it. So if you're just, you know, a couch potato and you're sitting there eating, but you're not happy. It's, it's, it's easy, but that doesn't contribute to your, those kind of people are not happy. It's the people who are out there doing something difficult and learning to do it well, who are the happiest people. And, 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 and to do something that is, that is spiritual and intellectual, which is, you know, a high form of humanity. It's what all humans are really designed to do. To do a thing well that you're designed to do is even better, mm -hmm. you know. And, and there's also a paradox of happiness, pleasure, and enjoyment. Mm -hmm. We we all know that when we aim straight at just our own pleasure mm -hmm. and our own enjoyment, mm -hmm. it actually ends up being pretty miserable. Yeah, right? right. You end up making yourself sick eating a whole bag of jelly beans, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, but when you but a couple steaks and the other a couple of just, just a couple <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> when you aim instead of directly at your own happiness you kind of allow that to mm -hmm. take a back seat and you aim instead at something that's intrinsically beautiful something that is in itself worth doing an activity that is meaningful it ends up that you actually end up pretty happy yeah yeah Another way to illustrate, I think, the concept that you were talking about, Martin, about the way that sometimes appreciation of skill that's developed could come from this, the world of sports. You know, there's certain people who would say, I don't like sports. That's, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like sports. Or for me, I'm a sports fan, but I don't like NASCAR. And I could say, I just, I just don't like NASCAR. But the reality is, I don't like NASCAR because I don't understand engines or I don't understand the kind of craft that they are practicing mm -hmm. on that in the, that arena. And if I did, I would probably be able to cultivate an appreciation of it. I think, mm -hmm. I think, I think Brady likes what he does yeah. uh, mm -hmm. as a quarterback. I, right. I, I think that he really enjoys that and he enjoys it more than most other players do, even because he's so good at it. And he is good. And I think my point <laughs> is that anybody could cultivate an appreciation of that, not just those who have this mm -hmm. proverbial disposition for sports, if they applied themselves to it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the argument in some ways that you guys are making is that this, I'm not a bookish person disposition is in one sense chosen mm -hmm. and that you could choose another disposition. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing at the college is helping people to choose that disposition, right? So talk about the ways that you are doing that. Well, I think one of the big ways is simply introducing people to the primary texts because a lot of people, you know, they've heard the names Plato. Aristotle, Kant, uh, Jane Austen. Um, but they haven't any ever experienced any actual familiarity or direct contact with these minds. And so they don't know where to start, right? And there's kind of this big, vague list in a lot of people's minds of, well, Western literature, the Western tradition, or right. th these kinds of hand-sweeping phrases. Um, but they don't know where to get start started. And, you know, if, if they do open up some, go to the library, open up some random book, you're likely to find some stuff that's pretty not interesting. And they don't know, is this really what I should be reading? Is this the best? Is this, you know, so what we do, I, I think a huge part of my job as a teacher is simply to introduce them to a carefully selected, okay, read this work from Plato. We're going to start here. 
and then have a conversation mm. about it in an atmosphere with people who are also reading the same thing. And we're not going to we're not going to go totally crazy on Plato. Next week we're going to move to Aristotle. Mm. Okay. And so at the end of that class, now they have in their minds I've been introduced to these guys. These are familiar figures that I've met at a party one time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? And that then gives them the permission to go and follow up some of those leads where their interests right. lie. Yeah, and and um and I think being able to do that in a community mm-hmm. of some kind. I mean, our classes are very uh, discussion intensive. And to be able to not only read it, but to read it and then discuss it and hear, you know, five other people saying what they got about it. And that may have been something that you got out of it too. And so that excites you, or they may see something you didn't see and that excites you too, because you didn't see it. And now you know that. Um, I think it's really important to, to do this in a community of people who all are interested. Mm. Um, There's and and, you know, our students are interested. They may Mm. not, they, they they know that there's a lot they don't know, but they want to know more. And the more things that you are exposed to, the more great works you expose yourself to, the better able you are to handle even harder stuff that that, right. that comes up because it does it just equips you to to add to your knowledge and your insight and your wisdom. And uh, and I think that's, that's I think in in this internet culture that we have, whereas you were saying earlier, people don't read. If you are the kind of person who is interested in depth of knowledge, depth Mm -hmm. of understanding, it can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. You know, potentially no one in your circle of friends, no one in your church community wants Mm -hmm. to sit down and talk with the, talk with you about these things. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a huge resource for the students to be able to meet other people from all Mm -hmm. over the United States. In fact, all over the world, we have some international students yes. that want to sit down and talk about, about deep stuff. And it seems like that passion to provide people a community to have intellectual discussion comes out of your personal lives and that, you know, Dan is unboundingly generous to, to us and he has guys to his house regularly to read and discuss these kinds of things. Selfish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, it, I, I know that. Because, <laughs> I just want to be able to come over and talk about books with me. Yeah, exa- exactly. So talk about how, why you enjoy that and what you're, I mean, it seems like that's coming from really just your, this whole part of the college is just you guys being selfish is what I'm trying trying to get at. Entirely selfish. (laughs) Yeah. Really. I just, uh, you know, I was very lonely as a child. I didn't have any friends and was bullied. And uh, now I'm just so excited that other people want (laughs) to talk about books with me. (laughs) No, but I, 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 joking, not joking that, that, you know. Uh, it is kind of unselfish because I love sitting down uh, with these these college classes and meeting these students, and I'm thrilled to talk to adults that actually want to talk about Dante uh, or Gulliver's Travels or whatever it is that we're we're reading that night. Um, that doesn't feel like work to me. I think we 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 had an, uh, another podcast episode on leisure in which I, I was joking, again, joking, not joking, that my whole goal in life is to, uh, to make all of my work life into leisure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to do things that are, that are worth doing and that are, are a deep joy to have deep satisfaction. And, and Memorial College really is that. 
and it's an it's amazing the number of people out there who want to do this. Mm. I mean, I, I I interviewed another uh, stu- prospective student um, the other day, and and I, we we laugh because the, the these these people come to us and we we interview these students who are ap- applying for the program, and it's like there's another one again. I mean, they're they're all just passionate about this. They just want to know more. They want wisdom. They want the beautiful. Um, and and uh, it's just amazing that they're, because at first you don't think there's that many people out there. And there's a whole bunch of people out there. And they, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, I've been, you know, I've been looking at your website and I've, I've been thinking about this for a while. And you know, there's 100, 200 other people out there right now who are thinking about it. Um, and uh, they get in the program and they love it. And they know more, and they're more wise, and it's it's a good life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, part of the distinctiveness of the program is that you guys are offering a master's in the great books, mm-hmm. not a master's in classical education or a master's in education. And we, as a company, have made that decision. Not just the college, but even as a schools division that I work in, and you know, a, a place that provides curriculum to to homeschoolers that we hope go on to do graduate studies intentionally because we would rather they do a master's in great books than a master's in education, even if they're teachers. Defend that. Martin and I were just Just talking about this this morning, uh, that, you know, in, in the classical world, what classical education often means is precisely not being focused on the method of education. Uh, that, what makes classical education classical is a focus on the content. Mm. And we have far too many teachers uh, that have all kinds of knowledge about the latest fads and educational theories and learning styles and why you should put your students in little pods and rather than circles or whatever the latest seating arrangement fad is. Uh, But they don't know anything about the science that they're teaching Mm. or they don't know anything about the literature that they're teaching because they've, never read deeply in that tradition. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the fixation, what, what William Barrett called the illusion of technique. Mm. Um, we're so focused on methodology. We're so focused on technique in our schools that we're forgetting what it is that we're supposed to be teaching them. And that, that's, I, I just recently gave a pedagogy talk is what Dan and I were talking about this morning in, in, um, to some charter school teachers. And I, my, my message was basically, basically classical education is not real interested in pedagogy. I mean, there's a few, again, there's a few things and there are things that, that just common sense things that pertain to the content, such as really, if you were to come up with a technique of classical, a pedagogical, pedagogical technique uh, that's classical, it would be imitation of great things. But that's really a content thing. So, you know, you can read your Piaget, you can read your Benjamin Bloom and your John Dewey, but it's not going to help you do what really needs to be done. Yeah. One of the projects of the college is the dust jacket. I'm going to call it the project of the college, even though it's really just your project, but <laughs> it extends we are the college. <laughs> from, from the college very naturally. Talk to me what you, about the genesis of that idea and what you guys are doing together on that podcast. Well, we're we're trying to be a, a. This is the point I was making. We're trying to be text intensive. We're trying to focus on a book and to talk about it. We have one coming out 
uh, on Gentlemen in Moscow by Amor Tolls, who I think is one of the really great contemporary novelists. And um, he's written a couple other books. His newest one is The Lincoln Highway. Um, but but it's just got all these aspects to it that can come out in a discussion. And, and you know, when you're doing these podcasts, you, know, you come up and you got your notes and you got the questions you're going to ask. But the fact is, when you get into the discussion, as you know here probably, uh, 12 other things turn up that that are, are, are worth exploring. So that's the way our podcasts go. But I, I think just focusing on on books themselves. Mm-hmm. This is the whole focus of the college rather than going round and round about, I mean, even, I mean, we do a few thematic things, but, mm-hmm. but even those are really focused ultimately on, on some text somewhere. So it's just another way to focus on books. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that uh, we're diving straight into the real books, the mm-hmm. meaty books, the mm-hmm. primary source mm-hmm. type books, the um, not books about books mm-hmm. or books mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. ideas. I think there's a lot of, co- a lot of podcasts out there that are sort of podcasts that are introducing you to a certain subject matter mm-hmm. or um, giving you kind of the dummy's guide to mm-hmm. X uh, meta content. Mm-hmm. And I have students uh, very frequently that come to me saying, well, but, well, before I uh, go and read Dostoevsky. Is there like, a, is there some kind of dummies guide that I should look at, or some kind of introductory material? And I'm always telling students, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Just let's let's dive straight into the meat and let's talk about it. Um, because why would you want to read another book on top of Brothers Karamazov? You know, it's I made the mistake pages. one time at a convention. <laughs> I was in a pan, one of our panel discussions, and. Um, one of the other panelists was recommending Chesterton. And I'm thinking that's going to be drinking from a fire hose for a lot of these poor homeschooling mm-hmm. mothers. And I said, well, I, I would recommend before you read Chesterton, read C.S. Lewis for, that's not a, and then I said, because C.S. Lewis is Chesterton for dummies. And there was this, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grumble in the audience and tough. then i had to explain what i meant by that just that that he's a simpler writer he's more straightforward he's one generation closer to us uh so he's going to be easier to read and yet he's talking about the same things uh-huh. chesterton's talking about as a uh so yes i think there is a you way to ramp up Lewis. difficulty but you can mm-hmm. still uh in, in the earliest stages of that you can still be reading substantive mm-hmm. meaty content mm-hmm. not blog posts mm-hmm. nations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sure. To round it up, um, I'm interested to hear about the classes that you guys are teaching or will teach and, and any just reflections on your experience as a teacher in the Memorial College setting, having been teachers at many other posts before. What makes it unique and what have you enjoyed about it? I can answer the first question first uh, because I've taught at a number of different places, University of Kentucky, Asbury, uh, Georgetown. Um, and it is like amazing night and day <laughs> coming and teaching at uh, Memoria College. Not that my experience in those other places was horrible, um, but you know, when you're in a big state school like the University of Kentucky and you walk in to teach an introductory philosophy class with a bunch of freshmen that signed up for it because they have to, uh, you, may, you might have that one nerd that's actually interested and wanted to take the class. And most of the kids never do the reading. You know, you've got to you've got to do a whole lot of work at the beginning of class as a professor to even motivate. Why are we even having this class? 
why should you even think about philosophy? Why is philosophy even a thing? Why should you read at all? Uh, why should you care about not being a moron? Um, you know, <laughs> like you have to, you have to like be a salesman for half the time that you are in class. Whereas when I walk into Memoria College classes, all the students are adults that wanted to be there and paid their own money to be there, not you know daddy's money or Uncle Sam's money, and. Uh, they have done the reading and they're eager and they come with great questions and there's like this amazing conversation and they're pointing things out to me in the text that I didn't see. And it's, it's just a fantastic uh, community and a fantastic experience for me as the teacher. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching a couple courses this summer, uh, two that we teach every year, one on the philosophy behind classical education so that people can, you know, really, we really need as a movement to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it better. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's what that class is for. And then one on pedagogy where I'm going to talk, you know, you do have to deal with all these modern uh, um, uh, philosophies of pedagogy and you have to kind of, you know, show the difference and why classical education has a different view on this. And then you just, just some topics like, um, you know, talking about the importance of knowledge. And so we do a little uh, uh, E.D. Hirsch, mm. uh, who's the really the go-to man on that. And then we talk about these, the reading wars and the math wars and what's the ideology behind not teaching phonics and teaching whole words. That there's, there's, an, there's a principle, there's a mm. distinction behind that. We talk about that. Same thing with the new math, which we have a new version of every, you know, every few years. Uh, and then, then I'm doing a course, a uh, new course this year on G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy, which... I've read more times than I can count. Um, Chesterton was the formative influence on me. Uh, I really got my education by by reading Chesterton, finding him in the in the college library, and following the references. Mm -hmm. uh, and that led me. That's what that's led a great me way to, to learn great books. Yeah, yeah. So here's the here's the real question: Where's the Memorial College campus going to be built? When are we going to get off Zoom and <laughs> get in and get in the classroom? Well, I've been told to keep my eyes peeled uh, for one of these old stone churches uh, downtown <laughs> that's like, you know, the congregation is is about getting ready to sell it. And, uh, you know, if I can find one of those, we'll snap it up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, we were wanting to start this and then COVID hit mm. and we realized that that was going to change a lot of the way we were doing things. And that it also really allowed us to start now yeah, yeah. <laughs> because everybody was on Zoom. And that was why we started when we did. We probably would have waited another year. Um, and really- Everyone else was saying, no, we can't start till later. You guys like, start quicker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as possible. Yeah, right. No, yeah, we have a different way of looking at things here. But so we, so it's worked out great. Uh -huh. Really, Zoom, Zoom is a really nice setup for having a discussion. You know, you can see 20 people right there. It's- it, I've been shocked at how well it works for what we do. And, and plus, you know, we're, we're reaching people who otherwise wouldn't be able to come here and we can do it at a cost mm -hmm. that is really affordable. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of advantages yeah. and I've discovered being sort of a, um, an anti-technology uh, Luddite myself. Um, he uses Evernote, I mean. Uh, yeah, I use ever. Well, I once I once tried I once got on uh, GoDaddy.com and tried to find luddites.com. Yeah, <laughs> just to see if it existed. Somebody had already bought it. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So so it's actually worked out very well for us. And and um and you know 
we may be able to do something physical in the future, but but uh, we're we're going great guns right now, and it's working. It's one of the things I've really appreciated about the college is that you have added a pretty excellent cast of characters to the the faculty. And so, aside from Doctor Dan and, and yeah. Martin, you have some other pretty notable He's the star teachers. Of the program, at least oh, he thinks so. I wasn't going to yeah. say it, but <laughs> beard. <laughs> he does have the beard. <laughs> so, how did you get you know Doctor Reynolds and Joseph Pierce and Tracy Lee Simmons to agree to teach at your college? <laughs> well, uh, I I think that's been probably my major role is faculty recruitment, and and I have been surprised at how easy it has been to acquire a really great faculty. Now, part of it is because it is an online school mm. and you can you can have people who are teaching at other great institutions to teach for for you and it's it, and we're doing it mostly in the evening because that's when most of our people are available. Um but uh I think it's it's um it's the fact that you know kind of what Dan was saying that teaching at a modern university is not fun anymore because they, they're the people there just aren't interested in what you're doing a lot of the time. Whereas what we bring to an instructor is a class of people who are hanging on every word you say, right? That's mm-hmm. you. Don't you like when people mm-hmm. hang on every word you say? Oh, love I've it. noticed this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beard needs attention. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so that, so, and then they can teach on things that nobody else is asking them to teach. Mm. I mean, the, the programs they're doing are not text intensive the way ours are. They're not, you, they can let down their hair in our program and talk about stuff that they're interested uh, them in themselves to people who are interested. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, so I get the response I get sometimes, you know, I, uh, one of our instructors uh, who we added this last year um, was a professor at a nice university and great background and in classics. And I will, you know, you're always kind of fearful when you ask somebody who's, who's really good at this kind of thing, if they would be interested in teaching for a little old you, they jumped at the chance. Thank you for thinking about me. I really appreciate that you, and they're all over this. This is what they want to do. The, that's the, that's the response we're getting from a lot of these people. Oh, um, I went to Israel to, I was on a football team scrimmaging Israel's national team. And one of the players on the other team, we were chatting after the game and I asked him, you know, Hey, you know, tell me about yourself. And he, because he was a rabbi and he was like, yeah, well, you know, I, I played football in the United States because I studied new Testament at a school in like Mississippi or something like that. And I'm like, why does this football playing Jewish rabbi with a PhD in new Testament exist? Like where, how did that happen? <laughs> and he said, if you, whenever you go to school, find a professor and study that you like and study what he's interested in. And you'll learn more that way than any other way. Well, that's, that's totally true. And you just, you guys have collected great people that people want to be like, and that if you study the things they're interested in, you'll be more equipped to study the things you're interested in. If you did anything, you've got a wide range of interests. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, we've got Carol with, uh, her wide, wide knowledge of art and history. history and music and arts you know, Joseph Pierce with all that he does with Lewis and Tolkien and Chesterton and many other uh, authors, literature. Um, yeah, the, the best kind of teacher is sharing their passion. Mm-hmm. And that's what our, our teachers do. And they also believe in the vision of the school, you know, to take to, to take these these great texts and talk about them. And, you know, they believe 
that they they have the same beliefs we do as to what a human being is and what's the best thing for a human to be doing, you know, pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful. They believe in all that. So that's another reason that, that it's been pretty easy to recruit people. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you guys for having this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.